Welcome to Lakeside Church's Message Podcast. Our prayer is that you fall in love with Jesus, find your church family, live in freedom, and be active in your purpose. Let's join the message already in progress. I'm not a fan of losing an hour of sleep. I think that's just criminal, but, um, but, but, but it happened. And then last night for my family, I don't know about your family, but I have uh, five kids. Two of them were sick. I had one with a high fever, my baby, Emmerich. So Emmerich was taking care of the baby. And then another one with um, something that I can't describe. I don't want to get too graphic, but there was lots of things happening. And so I got to take care of that baby. And so neither of us got that much sleep, and we lost an hour. So all I can say is praise the Lord. Um, but, but I do think today's message is one of the things that I'm kind of like the most excited to talk about, and it's probably not going to feel good, okay? So this may not be a feel-good message, but I'm excited to talk about it because I think that it might be um, next to understanding what Christ has done for you, next to understanding that Christ died for your sins, that his blood covers your sins, that his death paid the price for you when you didn't deserve it, and that he rose again, and that there's new life in Christ, and it is available for you, this might be, in my opinion, the most important message you can ever hear. And so I want to go into that, but before I do that, I am going to pray. Father God, I thank you for the privilege of speaking your word to your people we thank you, God, that you are faithful, that, um, that you are always good. And so I pray you give me wisdom and give us ears to hear and help us to see what your word says and help us just to grow um, as people in Jesus' name. Amen. This fits um, kind of into our vision on the front page. You can kind of see what, what Lakeside, what, what, there's four things that we want to do. We want to see people fall in love with Jesus. Like, I hope that you love Jesus, not just know him. And the reason I say that is even the demons know who Jesus is, and they don't love him. But I hope you love him. And how do you love him when you realize how much he loves you and that he died for you at your worst? Then it's pretty easy to love him back. He loved you when you were the most unlovable. Um, the next thing is find a church family. Then we want you to, to, I think church should be more than just a bunch of random strangers that you sit beside. If all you do is go to church and sit beside a bunch of random strangers, you're in a lecture. You're not in a church. All right? You're in a movie theater. You're not in a church. I wouldn't call a movie theater in my family. Um, that, but church should be more than just people you sit beside. And then the fourth thing, uh, or the third thing, is that you would live in freedom. Like, I hope you live in freedom. What does that mean? Is that whatever you're going through, I don't know what it is. It could be spiritual, physical, mental, relational. It could be, oh, you could have had the worst past in the world. I hope that in Christ you find freedom and become all that God has called you to be that you walk in the fullness of God's life. Like, that's my hope for you. And, like, that's pretty cool. That's what we want to do here at Lakeside. And the last one is, is that you would make a difference. Like, your life would matter. At Judgment Day, when all is said and done, and you stand before the Father, that he looks down at you, and he says, well done. Don't you want to hear those words? 
like well done, like all those nights you stayed up with a vomiting child and you were like, you know what, I don't want to go to church tomorrow. And he was like, well done, well done. But this, this message goes to that second part, which is about a church family. I think church should be more than just a bunch of random strangers. I think God calls the church, a, he calls it the family of God. He calls it the body of Christ. And there's one thing that you cannot avoid if you are in a family, and that's conflict. Conflict. Now, here's the deal about everybody in this room. No matter how good they look on the outside, and there's some of y'all that look great, and then there's the rest of us, okay? No matter how good you look on the outside, I guarantee you, you're still broken. And if I'm broken, and if this man is broken, I'm going to pick on him because I can. We're both broken people. I've loved this man for about 20 years, but we're both broken people. God is healing us. We're living in freedom. We're not what we used to be. But every once in a while, one of my jagged edges pokes him. And then there's sometimes that one of his jagged edges pokes me. And we're going to have to learn how to deal with that. We're going to have to learn how to deal with conflict. If you've ever been married, you found out there's conflict in marriage. All right? I'll tell you my experience. We got married at 18. And when we got married, we had a friend that worked for a cruise line. And they got us, two um, 18-year-olds, on a cruise. All right? It was awesome. It was cheap. It was almost free. We went on this cruise. We left Miami. I remember waking up the next day after we got married and like, oh, getting married is stressful, right? Like you have all this stuff you're planning and all this stuff that's going on. And I remember waking up in that cruise ship the first day and I woke up and I was like, ah, like this stress was gone. And I just felt so good. And I looked at my wife and I was like, we're married. This is so good. And the first place we stopped was Key West. Which, in case you don't know, not that far from Miami. So we stopped at Key West, and they said, hey, what do y'all want to do in Key West? And they said, you want to go kayaking? And we're feeling good, and stress is gone, and we said, let's go kayaking. And so we both got in the same kayak. I was in the back, and she was in the front. And within 15 minutes, we almost killed each other. Never go kai. With first time kayaking, we couldn't steer the right way. We're going through mangroves. I'm like, go on the other side. Stop it. She's like, you're going the wrong way. I'm like, you're going the wrong way. And we're bumping into stuff. The very first day of marriage, it was tough. And we're kayaking through the Everglades. And there was like a naked man on a surfboard. And we can't steer. I don't know why he was there. I'm just telling you that because I'll never forget that. Just chilling on a surfboard in the middle of the mangroves. And here we are fighting and we're married. And then we get back and I realized very quickly that if this was going to last, we had to learn how to deal with conflict. In your family, if you have kids, there's going to be conflict. If you have parents, you're going to have conflict. If you have a neighbor, there's going to be conflict. The only way you won't have conflict is if you don't exist. That's the only way. And unfortunately, if you're here, you exist. And the first point I want to point out 
is that love is not afraid of conflict. Some of us are very afraid of it. Um, We don't want to deal with conflict. We try to avoid conflict. There's a couple different ways to approach conflict. And and for a long time, like maybe I was one of the type of person that I just want to say, oh, I just won't talk about it. Uh, I just won't deal with it. And there's kind of two parts to my personality. Anybody else, you kind of don't fit in like any one category. So there's a part of me, and it's a very strong part, that if I don't know you and you want to have conflict with me, I will gladly tell you off. Like it just comes out. Like I don't know you, you say something dumb, and I will put you down and put you in your place. There's another part of me where if I know you, and you're in my family and we have conflict, then I just kind of want to say, yeah, let's, let's, not talk. let's pretend like that didn't happen. And then what happens is, is, is I've told that person off, and that was wrong. But then in this side, I haven't dealt with it, and there's like this uncomfortable tension in the air. Have you ever had that with somebody? Like this uncomfortable, unspoken, things aren't right. But on the outside, there's nothing you can point to. But love is not afraid of conflict. When God and man had conflict, when man disobeyed God, what did God do? First thing he did, he came down to the garden. He saw that they were naked and they had made clothes out of leaves. All right? Nobody does that. God made them clothes out of animal skins. He covered their shame himself. What else did he do is he took the first step and he sent Christ. He said, this is a sin. This is an issue you can't deal with, humans. I will deal with it for you. And he came, his son came, and he died in our place. He took the first step to fix the relationship with man. And he took the only step that matters because there was no step we could have taken We couldn't have paid for our own sins. We couldn't have done anything to earn salvation. And so he did it all. He wasn't afraid of conflict. He didn't give up on us. He took the first step. So that's one thing. Love is not afraid of conflict. And I'm going to try to go through the Bible. I'm going to try to look at some scriptures and try to bring out some points that that may or may not help you out. Um, But they will if you listen. Anyways, Matthew chapter 6, verses 14 through 15 It says, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Everyone in here needs God to forgive them, right? But look at 15. Let's not forget this. If you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your heavenly Father forgive you. Ouch! That's a rough verse. Because we don't have that image of God. We have this image that we can just mess up and we go to God and we're like, God, I'm so sorry, forgive me, and God will forgive us every time. And that is 100% true. But also this. If you don't forgive others, your relationship with God will get messed up. And that's the next point, is that conflict will mess up your relationship with God. 
Like, that's something you got to think about. You're having issues with somebody. You're in conflict with somebody. And, like, if there's unforgiveness there, like, that can hinder you and God's relationship. So that means it should probably be dealt with, right? Don't you want to have a good relationship with God? I mean, you're here. We just sang all this great thing stuff about the blood of Jesus. But Jesus himself said, if you don't forgive others, God's not forgiving you. That's, that's harsh. That's scary. That's painful. Because there's a lot of people I don't want to forgive. Right? And I don't know what you've been through. You may have been through something absolutely terrible, and that person does not deserve forgiveness. I am not saying that anybody who has hurt you deserves forgiveness. But I'm saying that it's our responsibility to forgive them. Because we didn't deserve forgiveness, and God forgave us. Let's look at another verse. It's in 1 Peter chapter 7. I'm sorry, chapter 3, verse 7. And it says, likewise husbands. So husbands. Any husbands in the room? Raise your hand if you're a husband. Husband, this is going to mess you up. All right, don't close your ears. Unless you want to hear something. This, this is rough. Husbands, because this is for us. I'm a husband. Husbands. Wives, you could just smile. Husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. Showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. Don't get upset, wives, because this is for husbands and it messes them up. Since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Husbands, your prayers will be hindered if you are not treating your wife well. All the ladies said, amen. <laughs> That's a word directly to husbands. Have an, understand, an understanding way. W women are different than men. There, there may be some stuff out there that say that's not true, but like it kind of is. My wife can have babies. I can't. So that your prayers won't be hindered. Isn't that scary? Did you ever realize, did you ever realize, husbands, that if you're not treating your wife well, like you're being kind of a butthead, and then all of a sudden, like you go and you pray to God, God's like, uh, I'm not listening. I'm not listening. Now, maybe it is that God's listening. I don't know. Maybe your prayers are hindered because you can't pray right because you're just too upset about what happened with your wife. I don't know, but either way, your prayers are hindered. Who wants their prayers hindered? Raise your hand. You're like, I would really love to be able to pray and nothing happen. I would love to spend all my time asking God for things and talking to God and God not listening. None of us want that. The next point is conflict can mess up your prayer life. Like, that, that, that's, that's the truth. I didn't say it. And it specifically calls out husbands. Like, we have a greater responsibility in this than the wives. Like husbands, and if, if you think about it, Christ says that the, the church and Christ represent the woman and the husband. 
Christ took the first step towards the church. Christ went to us first. He died for us. He laid down his life for us. Husbands need to model that for their wives. When there's conflict, husbands, we have the greatest responsibility to begin to address that. To lay down our lives, to have understanding, to to deal with that. Ain't nobody said that was easy. Ain't nobody said that, that, that that's good. But when you do that, then your prayers aren't hindered. And here's the awesome part. And husbands, I'm going to put this out there. If you're taking those steps, wives can still be buttheads too. All right, my wife's not here, so I can say that. But if you are taking those steps and you are honestly with a, with a repentant heart and, and with understanding taking those steps and your wife is not responding, well, guess what? Your prayers aren't hindered. So you can begin to pray. And you can begin to ask God to soften her heart. And you can ask God to speak to her. And you can ask God to, to bring change there. And guess what? He listens. And he answers those prayers. So that's a hard word, and I'm sorry, husbands, but I didn't write it. But let's keep going. Verse 8, it says, finally, all of you, this is the same chapter out of 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 8. It says, finally, all of you. So this is for all of us, ladies, you can pay attention now, too. Finally, all of you have a unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil, reviling for reviling. But on the contrary, bless, for this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. This, in the first century, you got to realize this was not written yesterday. This was written in the first century, and it was written in a culture. It was written by a Jewish man, but it was written to, um, um, to, to people that were not only Jews, but Gentiles as well, who was dominated by the Roman culture, and humility was not looked upon as anything good in the Roman culture. You wanted to be the best. In fact, you would never be the humble one in the Roman culture. You wanted to be better than the next person. Sounds like a lot like our culture. You never see an Instagram post like, uh, look like crap today, yeah. Oh, gained about 30 pounds, here it is. No, we only put our best foot forward. We want to share the best. Oh, wife just yelled at me, thank the Lord. No, we have the same values. We don't want to be humble. But this, if you're going to deal with conflict, you need to have every single one of these things. A unity of mind. And this applies whether you're at Lakeside Church or whether God calls you to another church or whether this is in your marriage or whether this is with your parents. But you need to work on having a unity of mind. You need to work on having the same vision, on having the same purpose. Sympathy. Sympathy. If you're going to deal with a conflict, you've got to have some sympathy in your heart. Sympathy. Not like, oh, poor little baby. But like... He's going through something too. She's got a lot on her plate as well. I, I get it. She, she's just as broken or he's just as broken as I am. 
brotherly love, like the Lord calls us brothers. I've never had a natural brother. That man's as close to as, as a brother as I'll ever have. But brotherly love. And my boys love each other. They fight, but they never want to do anything alone. They bring each other together, and they, they spend time with each other and a humble mind. And those are the points that you can fill in on that page right there. The first one is unity of mind. In your marriage, in your church, in whatever you're doing, you need to have unity of mind that you begin to think about things the same way. That takes a listening heart, and it takes a, an, 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 an open ear, and it takes being able to talk. Sympathy, that you realize that other people have things that they're going through as well. Love, that you would actually love somebody. Love them like you love yourself. Love them like Christ loves you. And then a humble mind, a mind that is not afraid to put others above themselves. And so let's go through and let's look at some more things with conflict. And we're going to go to Matthew chapter 5, verses 23 through 24. And this right here might mess you up. So Matthew chapter 5, verses 23 through 24. Now, this is Jesus speaking. It's in the book of Matthew. And I want you to read this. And it's talking about offering a gift in a Jewish temple, which, I mean, you don't do, but you do come to church. So let's apply it to our context. If you are offering your gift at the altar, or maybe we'll just say singing about the blood of Jesus. I don't know, in our context. And you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift. There, before you go to the altar and go, first be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Do you really believe that? Do we believe everything that Jesus taught? When was the last time that you were sitting in worship and you were like, wait a second, I got to go get this right. Is it me? Or is like the best time to get in a fight with your spouse on the way to church on Sunday morning? Amen? Guess what? We take different cars. Solves that problem completely. I, part of the reason is I come here a little earlier than her to help get things ready, but do you have that attitude that you're willing to like, and I'm not saying, and God forbid you run out of here right now, but if that's what God, like you feel like you need to do, but, but leave. Don't even offer your offering. Don't even put your check in the box. Don't even, like if you come into church and you're like, well, let me give my offering and you're going to put something in the box or you're going to raise your hands and then all of a sudden you realize this is the tough part that your brother has something against you. Because that is the worst part about this verse for me. Because your brother could have something against you, and it could be all in their head. Like you didn't even do anything. But now you got to stop what you're doing and walk over there and talk to him and say, all right, look, you thought this is what I meant, but that's not what I said. And look, I don't want there to be a problem, and I'm sorry, and if I offended you. And, and like, that's the worst part, because sometimes your brother has something against you, and you didn't even do anything. It's just their fault, their problem. But just like Jesus took the first step, 
it's our responsibility to take the first step. So the next point I want you to put on there is conflict must be here can be must be handled swiftly. Swiftly. Don't let it boil over. Don't let it rest. The Bible says don't let your sun your, the sun go down on your anger. Handle it right away. It's good for your marriage. This is good for your workplace. This is good for with your kids. Look, I'm a dad. I have five kids. That means there are seven people in my house that at any one moment I can offend. That's hard. I live with seven people. Each of them are different. And at any point when I come home, I could do something wrong and hurt one of their feelings, and it's a lot of times not even on purpose. And I'm not a perfect dad. The other day, and this was during 21 days of prayer. We did 21 days of prayer and fasting. And I'll, and, I'll, and I'll tell you the good part, and then I'll tell you the bad part. The good part was I went like on a Tuesday, I think it was. I went to the doctor. I got my MRI results back, and I was hoping everything was going to be fine and that I could look forward. And they said, here's your MRI results. Your disc is worse. It's deteriorating. It's falling apart. And now there's bone spurs, and there's all kinds of crap going on. And I saw that MRI, and I was so mad, like ticked off. I was like, come on, Lord. Like, I believe in you. I don't have, like, any, I'm not, like, sinning. I don't have, like, like a lady on the side. I'm not stealing church money. You know, like, I'm not, I'm not doing anything. And I went home, and then the next morning, here's the good part. The next morning, like, we were at 21 days of prayer, and all the group that decided to, like, suck it up and show up there early at 6 in the morning to pray, they came, and they laid hands on me, and they prayed for me, and, like, I teared up, and, and, I, and I haven't been angry since. Like, it was perfect timing. They came around, Gail, I think, David, maybe Mike. I, I don't remember who was there, but I remember, that, like, it was, I left there thinking, God, you have perfect timing. But guess what happened Tuesday night? Tuesday night was not Wednesday morning. So I came home, and I'm upset. And my kids are loud. I don't know. Kids just don't have volume controls. God, and I got all of them. They all want to be louder than the next. So you walk into my house, and it's like a concert. It's like, ah, they're screaming, and they're singing, and kids are doing backflips, and car like literally, cartwheels, dances, songs they're doing at school, showing me papers. Like, I walk in there, and I'm like, it's like this every day. I'm like, I love all of you. Let me give each of you your time. And, and, and I snapped at them. I was like, just stop. Be quiet. Go. I went upstairs. I just was mad. That wasn't very Christ-like. So I came downstairs to my kids. I sat them all down, and they thought they were in trouble. <laughs> you know, I was like, come over here. Everybody sit down. They're like, crap, Dad's still mad. <laughs> He's like, sit down. Daddy needs to talk. Daddy is sorry. Daddy is mad at something that doesn't have anything to do with any of you. And I apologize to each of them individually. That takes a long time. There's a lot of kids. So I was like, I'm sorry. Do you forgive me? I'm sorry. Do you forgive me? I'm sorry. And then they all did. And I said, you know, I'm sorry. 
because it has to be handled swiftly. And I tell him, I said, you know, daddy's a pastor, and daddy, but, but more importantly, daddy's a Christian. And daddy's not perfect. Do you have that same philosophy that the scripture says you should have? That when there's conflict, you handle it swiftly. And you take ownership of your mistakes, or you take ownership of the situation. The next scripture I want to go to, um, it's out of the book of Colossians, chapter 3, verses 12 through 13. It says, put on then as God's chosen ones. Do you know that God has chosen you? Doesn't that, God, li- God loves you enough. God loves you, man. He chose you. Holy, God calls you holy. Separated and beloved. Compassionate. This should be you. Like when they read this at your funeral one day, like they shouldn't be lying. This should actually be how they describe you. Compassionate. Compassionate hearts. Kindness. Humility. Meekness. Patience. Is that you? Bearing with one another. Oh man, if this church is going to go where God wants it to go, we're going to have to bear with one another. Because let me tell you something, I know each of you in one way or the other, and y'all ain't perfect, and I'm not perfect, and we all have quirks. I I have quirks myself. You're going to have to bear with me. You could be talking to me, and you could be saying something really good, and my ADD kicks in, and I change the subject. Like 100% truth. Jesse just said, amen. Because that's how I am. But bear with me, because I'm not doing it on purpose. My brain just jumps around faster and faster and faster. And so when I'm listening to somebody, I'm like, focus, focus, focus. Don't talk, don't talk, don't talk. Don't talk, don't talk, don't talk. And then sometimes it just comes out. What's your quirk? What's your quirk? What's your weird thing? What's your strange personality thing? What's your thing that you do that's just going to drive somebody crazy? Like my wife, she'll finish a cup of coffee and just leave it anywhere in the house. I'm like, really? I'm like, you know there's a sink. The other day, yesterday, there was a cup of coffee. I said, babe, are you done with this? She said, no, I'm not. Later on in the afternoon, I said, babe, you were done with it, weren't you? I'll put it in the sink for you. But I don't mind. That's who she is. She deals with all my stuff. She deals with everything I got going on. We love each other. If you're going to be involved in a church, whether it's Lakeside Church, Radius, Mount Horeb, or any other church in this area, and you want to make a difference, we're going to have to do it together. It has to be done by a group. It can't be done by one person. And we're going to have to learn how to bear with each other. Because we're all different. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. 
I want you to look at this. This is out of the book of Colossians, written not long after the resurrection. This was written to a group of people that probably saw some of the greatest miracles in history. The apostles were going around raising people from the dead, healing sicknesses, like, like, like people were, were being translated. There's something in the book of Acts where some guy just like disappeared and went somewhere else. Like It was amazing. God was moving. And these churches started, and when they wrote a letter to these churches, they were like, guys, you got to love each other. Like, bear with each other. Like, that was the message they had to share. Think about that. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. Conflict requires understanding and patience. You have to understand. That's the next point you can fill in. Conflict requires understanding and patience. You have to understand that God has forgiven you for a lot. And that God will forgive you every step of the way. And that that is the kind of love you need to show others. And then patience and forbearing. Like you got to know, God's still working on them. You can pray for them and be like, God, that is, please change them. And if you're treating your wife right, I guess that'll work. Just to go back to that verse, husbands. God will change us. I'm not as bad as I was. Trust me, I, if you think I have problems now, man, you should have seen me. Be quiet, Jesse. I'm just kidding. No, I'm not. But God will change us, but it requires some patience and understanding. So we read a verse about what happens when your brother has an issue with you, right? When, when your brother has an issue with you, whose job is it to go? Yours, right? Yeah, yeah. If your brother has an issue with you, we read it. If you're sitting at the, your altar, you're about to give your gift, and you remember your brother has a problem, then you have to go. Well, Jesus says almost the exact opposite thing here. Go to Matthew chapter 18. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. Gerald, come over here. Quick, 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 quick. We're running out of time. People want to get out of here. All right? So Gerald is the one that has a problem with me. Go stand on that side of the carpet. It's your job to come to me, isn't it, Gerald? So start coming to him. Now, if I have a problem with him, I have to start coming to him. It works both ways. That's the way God wrote it. He wants the church to know that no matter where the problem is, you got to get it right. This is how it works in a marriage, if the marriage is going to work. This is how it works in a church. This is how it works in a family. This is how it works in parents. Is, is Gerald realizes, well, Chris has a problem with me. I better go deal with it. Chris is like, well, Gerald, you really ticked me off. 
I am upset at you, Gerald. You are much skinnier and in better shape than me. And you're just making me look bad. He said he's sorry, and now we're good. Praise God. That's how it works. I love you, Gerald. Thank you very much. Gerald is doing a lot, and if you're interested in helping out with the Mac Brock concert coming up, and you want to serve, and maybe you want to get even behind the scenes a little bit, talk to Gerald, because he can put you on the list, and he can show you um, how you can help out and serve that conference, because we're expecting a full house. But the last thing is, is, is right here, it said, look, look what it said. If your brother sins against you, go and tell about three or four people for prayer. Oh, um, two or three. Just one? No, go to him. That's not what we want to do. You sin against me, and I want to say, hey, can you pray for me? I want you to pray for me. I don't really, I mean, maybe I want prayer a little bit, but I kind of want to get it off my chest. What I should really be doing is going to him alone. And then it actually gives you a biblical structure for handling conflict, because after you go alone, hopefully, if he's coming to you like the Scripture says, and you're going to him like the Scripture says, hopefully you all get it right. And you bear with one, with one another with understanding and patience and humility, and you deal with it, and you realize you both probably did something wrong, and you say you're sorry, and you let it go. And you forgive each other as Christ forgave you. But if he doesn't, if he listens to you, you've gained your brother. But if he doesn't listen... Take one or two others along with you. That's what the Bible said. That every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. That's referencing the Old Testament. Verse 17, I think, is hilarious. I think this is so funny. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen to the church, let him be like a Gentile or a tax collector. What if we had moments like that? Who's offended? Who needs to tell it to the church? Who wants to call people out? Who in here is really offended? You've gone to him alone. You've taken two or three witnesses. Let's just point them out. Wouldn't that be awesome? That'd be a great service. Well, let me just tell you what he did. It would protect us from a lot of criminals and scammers and people coming to church for the wrong reasons. Maybe we should do that. Next weekend... All right, no, I'm just kidding. I do think it'd be hilarious. But it's actually what the Scripture says. And I do think it's talking about the local body of believers. I don't think you have to go like... I do think that there's something in guarding someone's reputation. I do think there's something in guarding and protecting people. And I think that this is the last thing you can write. You should be up front. You should go to people. You should be honest. But you should definitely guard your brother's reputation. You should guard them as Christ guards yours. You should guard them the way, you know, you know those sins that you've done that nobody else knows and Christ didn't like post it on your Facebook? Christ didn't blow up your spot. Christ didn't tell the whole world what you did. That's how we treat our brothers. That's how we treat our spouses. We guard their reputation. Be upfront. Be honest. But guard each other's reputations. And I'll tell you what, if we could start doing the first part of going to your brother one, like upfront, let's start there.
the two or three witnesses thing, let's get the first part right before you work on the two or three witnesses thing. And if any of you get really good and you want to call somebody out in church, I would love that. But I don't think we're there yet. I'm just kidding. We would never do that from the pulpit. Maybe. (laughs) But I want you to think, in your life, we're about to take communion. Those people that are going to help serve communion, could you come up, please? We're about to take communion. And when you think about what communion is, it's really two things. The way we take it here is we have a piece of bread and, and, and we dip it in the, in the juice. And if you look at this, it's about a broken body that Christ paid the price for your sins. But it's also, we do it together because it's the fact that we're one body And we all are the same at the foot of the cross. And it's about being a common body of Christ. You can take communion on your own, but it was really meant and designed to be taken with your brothers and sisters in the Lord. Right now, I'm going to invite you all to stand. And I want you to close your eyes just for a second. The Lord in the scripture says to examine yourselves before you take communion, before you recognize that the blood of Jesus was shed for you and his body was broken so that you might be whole. I want you to examine yourself right now. Is there any conflict that you might need to deal with? Maybe it's with your spouse sitting next to you. Maybe it's somebody else in this room. Or maybe they're not even here. Would you just pray a simple prayer? Would you just ask the Lord to show you? Just say, God, show me if I need to get something right with somebody. I need to get any conflict dealt with. So I'm going to ask you to do is in a few minutes we're going to invite you to come down. But if there's somebody in the room you need to get something right with, spouse, whoever, just talk to them quietly. You might need to not hash it all out right here. Maybe you say, I'd like to talk to you about this later. I'm sorry. that's done and you feel like you're good you can come down if they're not in the room I want you to make a commitment say God I'm going to talk to him I'm going to help me give me wisdom to deal with this conflict help me to know how 
But Father, we thank you for your body that was broken. We thank you that your blood for your blood that was shed. We thank you for your forgiveness that we don't deserve. May we be people that can offer forgiveness freely to the people that don't deserve it, God. As you're ready, please feel free to come down either side and partake. Hey guys, I'm Bob. <laughs> <laughs>